Hello and welcome to another podcast from Paint and Page. Uh, today, uh, the 8th of March 2021, is International Women's Day. And we've uh, we've been very kindly joined by um, an exceptionally interesting lady called Audrey Smith. I'll let Audrey tell you her, her story in a moment. But before I do, just thank you ever so much, Audrey, for joining us all today uh, and for sharing uh, what will be, I imagine, a, the first of a, of a couple of um, podcasts with us. Um, today we're going to be looking, you're going to be talking about your um, your service in the British Army with the Women's Royal Army Corps. Um, now, for those of you who are fairly new to military history, the Women's Royal, Women's Royal Army Corps, I'm sure Audrey will tell us all about it, no longer exists. Um, but when it did, it provided the military um, experience for, for women of all ages for, gosh, almost 40 years. I'm going to let Audrey take over. She is she is the expert in this and has lived experience. Um, I think this is going to be an exceptionally interesting podcast. Audrey, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Well, um, I think I'll start by telling you how I got into the art, uh, which uh, uh, was also how I uh, met Ben much later on. Uh, and um, I think it started very early when uh, when I was only nine years old, uh, I got a school report which concluded with, Audrey is a little girl with ideas who will go far. And I think during the um, talk, you will see that I did actually that. Um, because uh, I spent a great deal of my time all over the world. Now, uh, I went to a mixed uh, grammar school, and therefore, uh, you know, I didn't have this, the girls' school and the boys' school. I got used to having boys around, and um, it was very forward-thinking because it decided that uh, the boys would learn cookery, and the girls would learn woodwork, so that um, it gave you a, uh, an idea onto what people did on the other side, as you say. And so I never had this sort of idea of the them and us, because uh, we were always together. And um, eventually uh, I uh, went on to uh, do... Uh, O-levels and A-levels, which were very unusual for my time because I was one of the first people to um, do A-level in economics, which uh, meant that uh, I was quite sought after by uh, universities to do a degree in economics. And in fact, um, I eventually went up to, uh, to Nottingham University and uh, I read uh, economic history. But really and truly, the whole of my life changed in the first week I was at university because um, when you arrive, you go around and there's stalls offering you joining uh, the um, historical society, the society for people wanting to play hockey and cricket and all the rest of it. And you go along and you join up with all of these things on, on your first week. And um, there was one uh, um, society which I looked at, 
And I thought that sounds quite interesting because it's going to um, uh, finish my driver training uh, and uh, I'm going to be able to shoot because I, I learned to shoot as a very young person because my uncle was a target shot. Uh, and I was taught to fire uh, a two-two rifle the minute I could lift it off the ground. Um, and so, uh, anyway, I, I went away and I thought, well, uh, you know, perhaps not. It, nobody in my family is in the army and this sort of thing. And so really didn't think any more about it until the sergeant major at the time, the female sergeant major, for some unknown reason, and I do not know why, thought I was the sort of person that would fit into the OTC. And so every night that week, she turned up at the Hall of Residence, Florence Nightingale Hall, and said to me, why don't you come and join the OTC? And I said, but, you know, I've got so many other things to do. Anyway, on the Saturday, I remember giving in and joining, <laughs> which, uh, um, uh, you know, I thought, well, I might as well, you know, so I did. And then, of course, from then, um, uh, I got totally enthralled with the whole system and uh, 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 learned to drive, drove all the vehicles you can think of, including um, an articulated lorry at one point. But... Um, one of my problems always was I'm quite short. I'm only five foot three and a half. In fact, I have to stand very tall to become five foot four to get into the size to be a, dr a driver. And so consequently, um, some of the vehicles were quite difficult. And one of them really had a double problem because uh, in order to reach the pedals, I had to put up my greatcoat behind me uh, and... Uh, because of this, I then couldn't reach the gear lever that was behind me. So it, it was a bit of a, a double-sided problem there. But anyway, uh, I, I then began to spend more and more time in the OTC and obviously realized that probably um, a career in the Army was what I wanted. Um, and uh, then I learned to... Um, uh, fire all sorts of other weapons and did some competition shooting while I was in the OTC. Uh, anyway, um, by the time I was 20-ish, uh, um, uh, they said, would I like a TA commission? And so I said, well, I suppose so, you know, not really going all about. So I went off to the commissions board and... Um, uh, I was given a TA commission, and I was commissioned into uh, an organisation called 323 Staffs Battalion, WRAC TA. And this was a battalion that covered the whole of Staffordshire. Uh, and it was an amazing organisation, and it was uh, an all, uh, involved with the Royal Army Ordnance Corps, uh, because its job was to uh, provide the backup for the uh, Ordnance Depot at Donington. And so basically they were all uh, store women and people of that sort of employment. So anyway, I started off and I, I got my little platoon at Cannock. And uh, uh, that was great fun. And I used to turn up uh, because by this time I 
finished my uh, degree and I'd gone home because my father was a widower and I thought, I really can't leave university and then go straight off and join the army. You know, I, I, I must go home. So I, I did that and uh, uh, I became a psychiatric social worker in a jar guidance centre, which um, uh, was just down the road from my second unit in the um, uh, in the TA, but that's a story to come later. So anyway, um, we had this uh, this uh, battalion, and, and they were terribly keen and terribly enthusiastic, and. I always felt, you know, that they were people who really cared about being in the army and doing their little bit. Uh, and then one day, nobody turned up at the training day. And I thought, what has happened? And two or three people turned up uh, the next week and and, uh, and so on and... and just one or two of them, you see. And then about four or five weeks later, they all arrived back. And I said, what on earth is going on? And they said, well, the trouble was that they took the bus off and we had to save the money to buy bicycles. <laughs> Which, I think that showed the, 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 the amount of commitment that they had. And anyway... So that was fine. Then after that, um, that unit was disbanded and I went to a, a, an MT unit where I was very lucky to um, get the uh, command of the motor ambulance platoon. Uh, and we, we were the backup for a whole of a transport column. Uh, and uh, that uh, had its moments when uh, I was... Um, with my uh, platoon, and there was a message uh, came out saying, uh, came saying there is somebody, uh, there's been a terrible accident, this is in Wales, there's been a terrible accident, they needed an ambulance. Well, this was great, except the ambulance uh, that we got, we'd be actually using uh, a, a sort of to, to sleep in. And so uh, the other officer went into the back and was turning it back into an ambulance while I shot down the road for one of my most exciting moments of my life, which was to drive down the wrong side of the road uh, behind a dispatch rider. So that was great. Anyway, we th we got to um, the um, uh, we got to the uh, uh, the accident, and unfortunately. Uh, the husband, uh, it was a car that had been run into by a lorry and the husband was lying in the road dead and there was nothing that could be done with him. But the wife was still in a pretty awful state and had to be taken to hospital. So, uh, which she was not desperately badly hurt, but was covered in blood, her face was covered in blood and, and all the rest of it. So anyway, we popped her into the back of the ambulance and off we went again behind the dispatch rider. Uh, and uh, then, um, in due course, we got to the hospital, uh, and I don't know how I got this, but they said, would I please ring their son and daughter? And I thought, what on earth has it got to do with me? But I said, well, yes, I would. So I rang the son and daughter, and before I left, I'd said to my platoon, 
go to the next lay-by and wait. And the amazing thing was that it must have been two hours. They were still sitting there waiting, and they said, we got the kettle boiling, <laughs> you know, for us when we got back. So I had a lovely time in the TA, and that said to me, well, you know, perhaps I should join the regular army. But I still had the problem of my father. Uh, you know, because I didn't want to leave him. And eventually he said to me, for goodness sake, go and join the army. That's what you really want to do. <laughs> so um, off I went uh, and went to the regular commissions board. Uh, and uh, then uh, I joined the army. And it was the first time really that... Uh, I realized that I was joining the WRAC as opposed to uh, being in the OTC or having, uh, you know, uh, being in a battalion. And I suddenly realized that I was being commissioned into the Women's Royal Army Corps before I was commissioned into our territorial army. And so anyway, I arrived and uh, it was quite clear that really they hadn't had anybody like me before. Because, um, yes, they'd had graduates. Yes, they'd had people from an OTC. But they had not had a graduate from an OTC who was a TA officer. <laughs> so they really were a little bit stuck. And so they said, well, you're going to have to join cadet women, but as an officer. And so I said, well, okay, uh, I'll do that. And... Um, uh, I'll do that, and uh, uh, you know I'll um, uh, do whatever you say. So I joined as a as a, a uh, as a cadet. But of course, the problem was that um, I'd spent my whole time in the OTC doing amendments and things like that, and so most of the things I was being taught I knew backwards, upside down, and inside out. And so they realised that I was not going to actually learn an awful lot and so they said well we'll send you to officer wing uh so i said fine whatever so off i went to officer wing uh and then uh they said they put me on this course and i said well actually for all sorts of reasons i have been on this course three times before <laughs> so anyway that was fine and uh, in the end they decided they'd have to post me so i was posted to my first job which was absolutely fascinating because I was a platoon officer at the WRAC uh, training centre. And I enjoyed that tremendously. Um, but I was slightly off put because suddenly, because of my seniority, I was asked to be uh, uh, the, uh, the OC, number. Uh, I was number one platoon, and so I ended up as leading the parade, the first passing out parade. And so I did actually mention to the, um, the RSM that actually, um, that apart from my TA drill, I'd been taught no drill at all. And could somebody please tell me how to do it? <laughs> so I was trained behind the drill shed uh, and that all went on. And so, um, uh, I enjoyed uh, my time there tremendously and had a very exciting moment when I was a duty officer uh, as I was um, uh, told that 
somebody from uh, the Kyneton, where they had all the weapons, had arrived um, uh, to find his girlfriend, uh, who had decided that she didn't want to be with him any longer. And uh, as a result, uh, they thought that he was carrying three live hand grenades. Um, so anyway, uh, I uh, said, uh, fine, uh, um, uh, you, know, uh, you know, I'll go and look and find this woman if I can. So I met her behind um, uh, a, a shed and I met him behind the shed and he asked me where his girlfriend was. And I said, well, I don't really know, but if you come with me, uh, I'll see what I can sort out. So anyway, I gradually thought the best thing to do was to walk him slowly uh, to the uh, uh, parade ground, and that if they did go off, they would probably do less damage than in the middle of the uh, in the middle of the um, uh, in the middle of the the, the, the huts. So off we get, went, and meantime I sent a message saying he's here. <laughs> anyway, I stood chatting to him, uh, saying we're, we're fetching her, we're fetching her, you see, uh, while they called the police. And eventually the police arrived and uh, took the hand grenades off him. And I thought, well, that was the end of it. And so I went off and had my supper. I went back afterwards to find that uh, horror of horrors, um, on the guardroom table were three live hand grenades. And the, the duty sergeant said, I'm terribly sorry, ma'am. He said, you know what to do with them more than we do. We've left them with you. So I said, well, that's absolutely great. I said, so uh, fortunately, I was the rifle shooting officer. So we carried them carefully and put them in the uh, empty ammunition store. Uh, and uh, then I went to see the quartermaster, and the quartermaster said, oh, we'd have to call the bomb disposal unit. I said, well, I have been trained in the OTC. I can easily take the primer out. You can't do that, she said. <laughs> so anyway, the, the bomb disposal uh, unit arrived, and we had a tremendous time because we kept them in the officer's mess drinking until uh, well on in the day, in the night. Uh, but anyway... Uh, I then um, went off to my next posting, was, which was to Shubri Ness, which was the, um, the place where the experimental assistants in gunnery, and they were the people that helped do the records of the gunner firings, uh, was located. And extraordinarily, and <laughs> most extraordinary, I took over from the sergeant major who had got me into the OTC. Because <laughs> she was going off to another very exciting unit. Anyway, I was there for um, uh, a year or so, and that was at the time that, it, that we were losing our independent companies, and it became the WRAC detachment of the Proof and Experimental Establishment. And so off I went. Uh, uh, you know, and looked after the service for me, really, and didn't learn a lot about what went on on the ranges, except uh, they did have the most extraordinary life because they had to get up 
at a different time every morning because they had to follow the tides because part of their task was to collect the fall of shot. Uh, and so the tide had to be right. Um, anyway, that was okay. And then just before Christmas, uh, uh, I was asked to nominate somebody uh, to go to this new unit called 20 Trials Unit, uh, which I knew Kay Johnson had gone to uh, because it was now ready to have the experimental assistance in gunnery because they were about to start the trials. And that was fine. And um, so uh, I selected uh, one of the sergeants uh, to go and a, a group of people. And that was the end of that. And then I had a phone call. And um, my career has always been sort of strangely quirky. And I had this phone call. And they said, would I please go to our hostings branch uh, in Stanmore? and discuss uh, a possible future posting. So off I went, hippity-hoppity, and I got on the train, and um, uh, as I would have to have done in those days, I was wearing my hat, and I was wearing my gloves, and a suit, and looking terribly, sort of because it was still in place. I turned up there, and suddenly uh, uh, she said, um, tell me, she said, uh, um, what do you know about 20 trials unit? So I said, well, only what Kay's told me. And she said, um, well, Kay is leaving the army. Uh, would you like to go there? And I said, well, I don't know. I mean, you know, I know nothing about it. So anyway, um, she said, well, you've got the same degree as Kay Johnson. I said, no, I haven't. I said, I have got a degree in economics and economic history, and her degree is in economics and maths. And so if you want any maths, my maths is not good. <laughs> so, oh dear, they said, we better ring the commanding officer. So they did that, and the commanding officer said, well, you know, I might as well, there's nobody else, I'll take her, you see. And so then I went to probably the most interesting job I did in my whole career because we were doing the trials on the guided weapon swing fire and my little, there were 14 service women and the sergeant uh, were responsible for doing all the records. But because of this, we had to do all the training. And so I did a three-month photographic course. I did a survey course at the School of Survey. I learned how to use the IR screens. I learned how to use these strange things called telerometers and tele. Uh, telescopes, all sorts of things. And it was absolutely fascinating. Uh, and we went, we were going to a new uh, tiny uh, uh, barracks that they built for the women uh, up in uh, Kukubri in Scotland. Uh, so anyway, that was, um, it, it was the most interesting job, but sadly uh, the trials, uh, as always, were held up and although I did all sorts of background work and preparation, before the actual trials on swing fire started, I was due to be posted. And so um, the director was coming to visit and she said to me, um, well, you know, where would you like to go? You've had a pretty rough deal. They promised you a trip to Canada for the coal trials and Australia for the hot trials. 
where would you like to go? And I said, well, ma'am, if you'd like my wish list, I would like to go to Singapore in a staff job or regimental job, and then to Cyprus in a staff job or regimental job, and then BUR in a staff job and a regimental job. But really, BUR is pretty low on the list. Fine, she said. Anyway, up came my posting, and it was to headquarters BUR, uh, no, uh, headquarters uh, BUR uh, doing Q-Maint which couldn't be more riveting, I thought. And so I thought, oh, well, I suppose so. Anyway, uh, off, off I uh, got all my boxes together and uh, got them all sent off. And, and I literally, on the day that my boxes were on the way to the station, I had a phone call. And they said, do you want to go to Singapore? And I said, Singapore? Of course I want to go to Singapore. So they said, well, that's absolutely fine, um, but you've got to go somewhere else for six months first. Fine, I said, whatever you say. So at the time, and her name really was Sergeant Snodgrass, I said, Sergeant Snodgrass, stop my boxes. <laughs> and so she managed to stop them leaving uh, Kukubri Station. Anyway, um, that was fine, and of course, that's when I went to uh, I went to Singapore. But before that, I had to go to Cheltenham to look after the service women who were analysts uh, at Four Communications Unit. Uh, and so, but that was just for six months uh, because the person that they got to go to Germany uh, had to be relieved straight away. So that's how it worked. Um, so off I went to Singapore, which I've always wanted to do, um, and I had the most fantastic time there because uh, at that time we were looking for the um, future of uh, the services in the Far East, and we were writing all the um, plans for uh people uh, going from to complete their tours from Malaysia into Singapore and then into Hong Kong so that they uh, would have a full tour and what was going to happen in the manpower levels. Um, I did all sorts of extraordinary things, like I did the very last uh, what was a selection test for uh, locally enlisted personnel. Uh, because, of course, uh, that was another problem uh, that we had because uh, many of the locally enlisted personnel who were, weren't serving in Singapore and were Malay no longer had Malay citizenship, and so we had to get all their citizenship back. Uh, it, it was a fascinating time, I must say. Um, and, of course, on top of that, I was very lucky because I could also water ski uh, twice a week at least or sometimes three times a week and so uh, uh, you know I managed to compete in the Singapore water ski championships uh, I uh, skied across Singapore harbour uh, carrying um, a Singapore flag uh, and uh, I also did some ski jumping but that uh, I must confess uh, was for me a very painful 
experience because I kept I kept flying off and, and losing the skis. And to this day, I've got a huge mark on my um, right thigh where the ski came down and hit it. But anyway, we, I, it wasn't a super time, but my, uh, my boss said to me, now look here, you've got to take the staff promotion exam. And I said, yes, I, yes, sir, of course I will do that. Well, anyway, I did absolutely nothing about it. And a little while before, I said, look, I'm not going to waste one of my chances. Um, so he said, um, well, I can make you take the promotion exam. So I said, okay. So the problem was in those days, we did this very quaint special to arms WREC paper. And uh, <laughs> it, my career would have been absolutely different if I'd passed this paper, which I failed. I think I'm probably the only WOC officer ever to, to reach. Well, I would have been, because you have to pass it to get to make it. Um, anyway, I failed it. Um, and uh, because I didn't have any books out there or anything else. Um, but uh, so, therefore, still not got the promotion exam. And uh, I was due for posting. So at that point, uh, uh, the... Uh, AD rang, rang and saying, would I go and see her? And it was really quite funny because she said to me, uh, Audrey, I knew her quite well, actually. She said, Audrey, are you going to marry John? And so I said, I don't know. He hasn't asked me. <laughs> you see? So anyway, um, strangely, Literally within minutes of um, of, of uh, almost the you know be coming out, uh, John appears and said, um, "I'd like to take you to dinner at the Cockpit, which was the the, the best hotel in one of the best hotels in Singapore at the time." Uh, and I said, "Well, that's very nice." And he did it absolutely properly. Bless his little heart, he got a car and. Off I went, you see, to the cockpit, and, uh, you know, we had a lovely dinner, and then he said, will you marry me? And I thought, crumbs, well, can I think about this? And then, of course, the problem was, four days later, he left Singapore, because he was due posting. So I was left with this dilemma. And then the AD called me in again and said, well, are you going to marry John? And I said, well, I don't know. I, I, you know, I've got a lot to think about. She said, because you've just been offered this job as an acting major commanding the new Duchess of Kent barracks in Aldershot. But I can't say you'll take it if you're going to go and marry John, because, of course, then you have to leave, you see. So she said, you're going to have to tell me that you're not going to marry him for two years. And I thought, well, can I have five minutes to think about this? <laughs> anyway, in the end, um, after a lot of thought, and I contacted John and all the rest of it, he said, fine, I'm in Germany for two years, you know, whatever. So I said that, and then so I went off um, to... Uh, uh, to Aldershot and commanded the Dutch Kent Barracks, which was brand new. Uh, when I walked in on the first morning, there was water, 
pouring down the stairs into buckets uh, and there were no lights in the bathrooms because there was something wrong with the electrics and it was it was a great challenge but um, we um, uh, we got over most of them and then of course uh, I realized that I now had to take the staff promotion exam in the middle of all of this and so uh, I, I I took the exam and I passed it miraculously in, in the middle of all this. And uh, so uh, the next uh, thing to happen was that I um, went off to the Army Staff College when I uh, probably have had the best um, sort of percentage men to women uh, than I've ever had because I was the only woman and there was 180 men. Uh, and so um, anyway, I did the course and at the end of the course uh, I then uh, was posted to Shrewsbury as the DAAG uh, which was the, the major in charge of personnel duties uh, and uh, at that time uh, I took over from uh, another uh, graduate officer uh, Helen Meeky, who eventually uh, would become one of our directors. So um, that was great, and uh, it was a fascinating job. And in the middle of it, again, my career sort of was changed by a fluke of circumstances, and that was that I was given the job of looking after the careers of the officers, which wasn't in that job spec in the first instance, but I was given this job, and so I had experience of what they call MS, or why it's called MS, I've no idea. So then off I went, um, eventually um, uh, having, um, uh, you know, had a fantastic time. Uh, I was the my tour was foreshortened uh, because the director, in fact, the same person that had sent me to uh, uh, Ten Company came and said uh, to my boss that she wanted to short tour me uh, to go to the WRAC directorate. And I thought the WRAC directorate is not my sort of thing, you know, paperwork and, 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 and this sort of thing, um, you know, I'm much nearer the coal face than this but anyway uh, I said to him well please tell her I don't want to go so he did and he came back and said you are going fine I said so obviously um, Eileen Nolan could see potential uh, that I couldn't see because I was uh, asked to go there because I was uh required to help at a very, very interesting time because the further employment paper was being written uh, of basically the future of women in the army. And also, uh, it was very difficult to recruit men at the time. And so, uh, as a result, uh, we were, they were wanting women everywhere and it was the time when uh every 
infantry and uh, gunner unit had a female assistant adjutant because it meant it was one less male officer they needed. And so we had this situation and they were wanting drivers and they were wanting all sorts of things. And we were frantically recruiting as fast as we could while writing this paper, which laid down basically the future of women in the army. And uh, the first thing that happened uh, in, in the move uh, was that female officers uh, went to Sandhurst in 1984. This was the mid-70s. So in 1984, the first intake of female officer cadets went to Sandhurst. And that was the beginning of the move towards integration. And then, of course, um, after that, uh, the, uh, the core um, gradually moved into, uh, into going into their male units. So, um, but it, it really was the most interesting time. And so a job that I really thought was going to be awful was absolutely fascinating. But after the paper was written, it was quite clear that, you know, uh, ordinary paperwork was not my sort of thing. And so uh, I was then posted to Cyprus, which was rather fun. Remembering my, my wish list, by the way, uh, Singapore, Cyprus, I was then posted to Cyprus um, to look after the service women, but also to be the head of the... Um, uh, the uh, work services um, uh, in in uh, Cyprus, uh, you know, re responsible for the, for the building of uh, of uh, new barracks and um, refurbishment, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, which um, again was at an extremely interesting time because uh, my successors, my predecessors, said to me. Well, she said, the most awful thing you'll have to do is write a cue brief, which was the basically the staff paper to um, uh, get a new build done or, or get uh, major works done. And so I said, fine, well, if I've got to write a cue brief, I've had to write a cue brief. Anyway, um, suffice it to say that in the whole of my tour, I did not write a cue brief because everything had to be done far too quickly. Uh, they were all done on the back of envelopes almost uh, because we had to suddenly convert uh, um, the uh, single accommodation into married quarters flats because all the accommodation or a lot of the accommodation for um, uh, married uh, service personnel was on the other side of the green line in, uh, you know, in the Turkish quarter. And so suddenly there was nowhere. So basically you could not be accompanied uh, when I got there. But by the time I left, we had converted all sorts of things and... Um, uh, it was absolutely fascinating because I learned actually how to convert my own flat that I bought it years later that way 
because uh, you know all sorts of problems occurred uh, that I could uh, you know manage not to uh, to get involved with. But it, it really was uh, interesting. I also um, uh, was responsible for the building of a roll-on, roll-off jetty, which uh, figured in a later job, which I'll tell you about, uh, a roll-on, roll-off jetty, which, um, <laughs> unfortunately, there was a storm in the middle of building this jetty, and my boss rang me up and said, can you be at the helipad in five minutes? And I said, well, I suppose I can. It was 7 o'clock in the morning. I threw my clothes on, rushed up to the helipad, and we went to look at this. And the beautiful roll-on, roll-off jetty uh, pylons, the things that they, they uh, uh, moored up to, were looking like upturned Charlotte Russes because they had got the metal uh, pieces and they hadn't had the middle filled in. And so they'd all turned over like Charlotte Russe. And so it's a bit of a problem, but... Uh, we managed it because uh, the sappers were actually building it. They work day and night by uh, light, uh, the light of uh, lantern, uh, lanterns and uh, so on. And they managed to build it uh, by um, uh, the time the, the real weather broke. But uh, it was fascinating doing things because the other thing was um, I learned all about foreign object damage because we were putting things like a really workshops on the corner of the airfield in Afrotiri and the RAF were terribly upset about this and they said well you know what about all this stuff getting into our engines <laughs> but it, it was it was fascinating um, and um, uh, one of my more amusing moments was when I took the director of army quarter in water skiing uh, and um, it, it uh, we were having lunch and I said, well, look, sir, I said, the water is pretty bad, I said, but I said, we will take you to wherever um, uh, the water is calmest. And um, so during lunch, you know, everybody was chatting. I was getting messages saying, you've got to go to Aqua Cherry. No, you can go to a pit. No, you can go. <laughs> and this was going on. Um, and in, in the end, we took him to Aqua Cherry and I, uh, uh, he and his wife did a little bit of water skiing. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, later on in the visit, I, um, uh, <laughs> when going to see this really workshop, um, uh, uh, I said, oh, we, don't worry, we can drive across the airfield, which was absolutely fine, except I suddenly saw as, as we were driving across the airfield that there was a plane coming into land. <laughs> But we we managed to get through just in time. But anyway, um, so I then thought, well, you know, what's going to happen next? And I was beginning to feel that, you know, I wanted to go off and do something exciting. Uh, uh, and, you know, it was going to be more and more sort of um, uh, paperwork and sitting behind desks and this sort of thing. And so I asked to see the brigadier in the military secretary's branch. And I had uh, a 15 minute conversation with him when he was uh, letting me rant on, you see. And I said, you know, I wanted to do this and do this and do the other, you see. 
And he said, well, I shouldn't tell you this, he said, but I think I'll have no peace unless I do. He said, you are going to the, what well, is now the Joint Services Defence College <laughs> immediately after this. And you are then being picked up on the pink list, which was the promotion list in competition with the men. Nothing to do with the WRC at all. And so I thanked him very much and crawled out <laughs> of the office. <laughs> uh, and and uh, off I went, you see. Then um, after that, uh, I, uh, uh, I went, went to... Uh, uh, to, it was then at Latimer House, which was lovely, and, and we had the most fantastic six months of visiting everywhere and learning all sorts of um, useful tri-service things and all the rest of it. Um, and then uh, right at the end, I was only the second person to go, and the first person to go was, funnily enough, Helen again, the, uh, the person I took over in Shrewsbury. And... Um, she got the very last job because they didn't know really what to do with her because, you know, oh, well, they wanted this, they wanted that, they wanted the other. But purely by chance, they had a new job. And this is where my uh, experience in, uh, uh, in um, Shrewsbury, uh, doing uh, MS in Shrewsbury, was to be in charge of the careers of the doctors, dentists, and nurses. And I was the first non-medical officer ever to do that job. And uh, that was quite uh, uh, quite interesting. And I thought, well, you know, it, it had all sorts of um, interesting uh, things that could come out of this. But it wasn't joint service, was it? Well, of course, in many ways it was because I was involved in the beginnings of the Yellow Leaves report, which was a report where they were trying to organize more integration uh, within the three services uh, on the medical side. And so I got involved, I was involved with, with that. And probably, um, one of the most interesting moments was when they were talking about the future of the Queen Alexandra's Royal Army Nursing uh, Service. And uh, because we had a ridiculous situation where the WRAC medical um, assistants were uh, in the REMC or attached to the REMC, the the ones that did the dental receptionists and such were with the QAs, uh, and it was a, a terrible muddle. And there were male nurses who were in the REMC. And so they began to think, and they said, well, actually, the most sensible thing to do was to put the men and the women into the QAs. Because you can't put men into the WRAC, but nothing in the Queen Alexandra's Royal Army Nursing Corps says anything about whether they're men or women. And so that started the movement to, um, to put them together. 
uh, and as I say, at the same time as, as they were thinking about more integration. So again, that was um, uh, another fascinating job. And at that point, I used my uh, work, uh, my experience with the um, uh, work services in Cyprus to convert my first flat in central London, um, which um, uh, was a pretty exciting experience, really, because I bought this flat for an enormous amount of money. And then all of the interior walls went out uh, and I was left with one and a quarter walls. Uh, and of course, when you buy a, a flat, you only buy the internal walls. So basically, all that I bought had gone down in the lift. Uh, but it, 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 it was okay, and it all worked out, and I eventually sold it at a very nice profit. But um, again, I uh, was called in, and uh, I was asked if I could... Uh, um, uh, again, short, would I short? And I said, "Well, I have no option of shortening my tour. If you want me to shorten my tour, that's it." So uh, I managed to um, uh, finish, just finish the conversion of this flat, literally. Um, and uh, the person I was taking over from in Germany, uh, in fact, was again Helen Meeky, and she said, "Well, look." I will live in your flat in central London. At least you don't have to find a tenant. So that was great. So um, another colonel and I, the night before I left, were, were finishing off the painting and getting it ready. And all the neighbours were complaining at two o'clock in the morning. And so off I went to Germany uh, to look after the um, 1,000 service women and 100 officers uh, that were in Germany. And again, that was a very interesting time because uh, we were able to relax some of the rules on accommodation to get service women in places where they um, were not able to go before. Uh, and uh, also, uh, the, the thing that caused them most nausea was trying to get the... Uh, Provost armed women in the Provost armed because you had a ridiculous situation if two uh, military police were together and normally they were together patrolling uh, and you had one armed and the other one not armed you know do you laugh after the one who's not armed or do you deal with whatever the problem is and so uh, eventually uh, they agreed that um, the Provost uh, could female uh, members of the group could be armed, and this was the first move towards um, women being uh, allowed to carry arms because it was specifically stated that they would not carry arms. Uh, but of course, I discovered when I was in the directorate doing all this paperwork that although they were not. Um, not to carry arms, they were not non-combatants like the the doctors and uh, and, and the, the you know the doctors and the padres and all the rest of it, and they didn't come under the Geneva Convention. So basically, um, they were in a pretty difficult position, really. <laughs> but nobody realised this until we started to change it all. Um, 
so uh, uh, we um, uh, while I was in BOR, uh, I, we have the post was upgraded to full colonel. I went to the lieutenant colonel. I left as a, a full colonel, uh, and um, then. I went to the job that I'd always wanted to do, and Helen knew I wanted to do it, and that was Commandant of the Training Centre. And so um, off I went, uh, and um, again, when when I got there, we were faced with the problem of really um, moving towards uh, the integration and, you know, trying to... Uh, get the training as near as possible to what the men would do so that it was an easy transition uh, as it all moved through because by then it was uh, it was 84 um, and uh, the Corps only really got another eight years before um, there was integration all the training was done together. So uh, again a very interesting time uh, of change uh, and um, so when I actually left, uh, was about to leave the, uh, the WAC Centre, I thought, well, again, I really don't know what I want to do. Because to be absolutely honest, I did not want to be the director of a corps that was, uh, you know, uh, going. Um, I wanted to try and do something more positive than sort of hang on or do whatever I could do in a in a, a situation like that. Um, and so uh, I th they then said, well, uh, we're going to um, consider you for um, a job on the staff outside the WRAC entirely. Uh, and uh, I said, fine. And I then got a phone call. And they said, uh, um, we're going to run you for a job. Uh, and the only problem is you have to volunteer. And I thought, volunteer? This is not the sort of thing one does, <laughs> you see. But I thought, well, what? why do I have to volunteer? And they said, well, the thing is that you have to go to a course in Rome for six months before the job and I said oh that's what I have to volunteer for is it so I said well look you know I'm not going to tell you straight away I said tomorrow morning I will give you my answer nine o'clock in the morning <laughs> I was on the phone saying please run me for the job but that job was what I'd always worked for throughout my whole career and that was you get the right background and the right training, and it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, you get the job. Because I was actually run for the job, i.e. my name was put forward, with 14 men. And I got that job because I had the experience in MS, and I had the experience I got in the directorate, and I had the experience that I got in Singapore doing manpower. So I always believe that, you know, you should always get all the qualifications you can and also, um, uh, you know, the experience. And then, and it worked. 
And so off I went to the NATO Defence College, which was an amazing six months where we did, uh, we sometimes were in Rome, but more often we seemed to be on tours all over NATO countries. Uh, and then, of course, I then went to what turned out again to be the most fascinating job because I went as the head of the Defence Manpower Management Survey capability for the whole of NATO. Now, that meant that I had a team that went around and looked at the levels of manpower uh, to see if they were right. And the situation was we were probably not going to get any more manpower so that if it was a new task, you had to try and find the manpower from within it, but preferably by not upsetting somebody terribly, you know, you have to try and find a solution to their problem, but still get the manpower from somewhere. Uh, and that was, again, uh, I went off to uh, my first job, in fact, uh, just soon after I arrived, was to do the whole of the survey on Sackland. Well, as I had not one single medical officer amongst my team, uh, they seconded me two naval officers, uh, two Dutch naval officers they were, and they gave me a uh, sort of somebody I could go to um, if I needed help. Uh, that had been in the survey situation before, who was a naval officer, because uh, <laughs> one was in a tricky position, really. But anyway, it um, it all worked out, and um, but uh, uh, you know, I I often felt, you know, I had to be so terribly careful because I was always with a team of officers always there were men, uh, and uh, I was probably in some foreign country with them for up to six months, uh, and one had to be incredibly careful that, um, you know, you uh, had to keep the right relationship. It, it was quite tricky, actually. Um, but anyway, that... Um, I, I did that job uh, for about um, a year and a bit. And then, of course, what would happen with me there? The wall came down in Berlin. And so everything was thrown up in the air. And so all our little plans were all... Um, I remember one morning, uh, my clerk said to me, <coughs> excuse me, ma'am. Yes, I said, she said, Dem we have representatives from all the nations, she said, waiting to see you. Oh, I said, that's very nice. She said, do you want to see them all at once or one at a time? So I said, well, you know, probably it's better one at a time so that they feel they've got their five minutes of fame, you see. So anyway, um, I said, I suggest you tell them, you know, some to come back a bit later and so on. So in they came one by one, you see. To a man, because I don't think there was a woman there, to a man, um, they all said, we want our peace dividend, you see. 
because they said, well, you know, we don't need NATO anymore. We, we want all the troops back. And I remember looking at all of them one by one and saying to them, isn't it a bit early for this? Shouldn't we decide, first of all, which way we're facing? <laughs> and so, uh, <laughs> so, so, so anyway, and, and they were all the same. You know, we want our, our people back. Uh, and so uh, anyway, uh, that went on. But because of this and because of the complications, I was actually extended in the job because obviously um, by that time they they'd accepted that I'd you know be fair and all the rest of it, and they couldn't avoid uh, afford to have somebody going in and possibly upsetting the apple cart. So I was extended in the job, uh, and then you know worked through until ninety one, um, you know trying to sort out. Uh, uh, stop them taking away their troops before then deciding what they were going to do with them. Uh, but anyway, um, eventually, uh, it came to the end of my tour, and by which time it had all settled down, you know, we'd had a year or so of all of this and uh, and so on. And so um, I was posted, uh, I was going to be posted again. They said, well, you know, do you want to be run for uh, uh, another job and I said well okay uh, and they said the problem is because you've been extended you haven't got quite a three-year tour left uh, and so it could be quite difficult and I said well you know whatever anyway um, eventually they came back to me and they said because of your experience again um, you have been um, posted in to develop the new um, selection test for the um, Army Staff College. And I said, oh, that sounds interesting. So anyway, off I went, and I thought, thank goodness it's in the MOD. I can live in my flat, you see, which was absolutely great. Uh, <laughs> the only trouble was that part of the MOD was in Sandhurst. And so... <laughs> I had to drive every morning from central London to Sandhurst. But of course it was against the traffic, so it was a doddle. You know, I was I was driving up when they were all in their queues. So I drove up to central London. I drove up um, and I then um, uh, teamed up with a psychologist from Beaconsfield and we wrote the new selection test, which... Uh, in fact, was used from 92 to um, 2002. And what was interesting, of course, was again, at university, one of my papers was in occupational psychology. And that, of course, included selection tests. And so all the way along, my experience has come through to, you know, to, to be useful. But, no, that was absolutely fascinating because what we did, we had to, the authors had to be above the rank of colonel to write these papers because otherwise one of your friends could have written it, you know, <laughs> you see. And so 
every six months I was um, uh, uh, given a, a, a different uh, kernel uh, and they had to write two papers. But uh, uh, it was it was quite funny, really, because all, all of my, my friends, no, nobody really knew I did this for years and years and years. Uh, but when they did, they all thought that I had wrote, written a paper uh, on uh, welfare schemes, which I hadn't. In fact, it was done by a brigadier in the raw signals. <laughs> I'd done the one on, guess what, the roll-on, roll-on jetty, <laughs> which, of course, I... I knew all about because I'd actually constructed it, but uh, no, I, I'm, I must say uh, I was very lucky. I had a fascinating career, but then um, because this was a short job, I had got about a year or so left, uh, and they said, uh, "Well, really, you know, we can't find you another job. It's going to have to be a filling job." Uh, but you're so wonderfully qualified for doing the options for change desk in the Ministry of Defence. And I thought I may be qualified, but do I want to do it? <laughs> and so I said, well, you know, uh, can I think about this? And I rushed in and I said to the brigadier in charge of the, the director of examinations and courses, here, sign my application for voluntary redundancy. <laughs> and so on the last day, that went in. And, of course, it suited them tremendously because, you know, they had another volunteer and they were having terrible trouble getting people to volunteer. And so I left the army about, oh, I don't know, 12, 12 14 months early, but with a little handshake, which was very nice. Uh, but I then went on working for the Director of Examination Courses for another uh, 10 years uh, because they called me back as a consultant uh, uh, because uh, basically uh, somebody had to make sure that the exam was kept at the same level uh, and, uh, you know, I was outside the military system then and was a you know, good person to do it. So that was the end of my service career. Wow. Audrey, I mean, just, just, just so, so listeners can understand, um, when did you, so what, what year did you join the OTC? 18. What year? Sorry, what, what year did you join the OTC? I joined the university OTC on the 4th of October 1957. So, 1957, and you served, and you and you finally left as a colonel in 1990. September 1992. 92. Wow, and that that's that's 35 years. Yeah, you know, 35 years, 35 years of military service, um, which is remarkable, um, exceptionally so. Given given sort of the the period of time that you served, and all the social, cultural, and political changes that were that were happening both in at home and overseas, especially you know sort of with NATO and the step changes that happened in the the seventies and eighties, um, as well as the drawbacks from the Far East, um, there's, there's an awful lot. 
you know, from that and, and absolutely fascinating. Uh, and the fact that the, the opportunities, you you seem to be very well placed. Uh, what do you mean? Well, uh, you seem to be in the right place at the right time. Well, I, I, absolutely. <laughs> when I look back on my career, I think to myself, you know, this is just ridiculous because, you know, the job at uh, 20 trials unit, basically, it was because I'd been to Nottingham OTC and because I had the same degree as Kay Johnson, you know, I was the perfect candidate. They didn't look any further. The fact that, that actually there was quite a lot of maths in it uh, and I had to get some special maths tuition to do some of it because uh, when you're doing photography at a complicated level, and I mean, we were using incredibly fast cameras and we had to work out our own depth of field and all the rest of it, whatever. Um, uh, you know, um, it, it wasn't easy. I just... It, it is truly remarkable, and, and I think people t do tend to forget that, or, or they, they overlook the fact that the, the women of the RAC did a huge amount of work with, with development of, of so many aspects of military technology, especially within the STEM field, what is now termed STEM. Um, and and we, we were, you know, as a military, we were exceptionally lucky because I think we, we took you all a little bit for granted. Um, and the expertise that was afforded. To developing, especially things like swing fire, you know, the, it, it was still very much a, a dark art than the missile technology. Um, I, I presume we're talking at this point, it was sort of the mid to late 60s. It was mid 60s, and of course, the sad thing about swing fire was that when it was being developed, it was the first semi automatic to line of sight missile, uh, and it was. Uh, able to go out to 4,000 metres, which is a long distance, um, but also could fire at very short distances. And the original idea of Sun Fire was that it was actually going to be an infantry and a tank weapon. Uh, but uh, in the end, they decided that the, the, weapon, the weapon plus the box was quite heavy, uh, and therefore it was mounted on what was then one of the new uh, fighting vehicles, uh, FV-432. Uh, but that wasn't the... And, of course, then the, the, um, the uh, soldiers would be inside the vehicle, and the, but they'd have the, the, the weapons on the top. But... Um, it was fascinating. Unfortunately, it was so long in being developed that um, by the time it really became effective, they had got completely automatic um, yeah. weapons. Because see, the problem is that if you were firing out to four thousand meters, you had to, your uh, operator had to. Keep once it had been gathered and it was gathered uh, at sort of um, 80 meters, it came into the line of sight. You had to then keep it on the target for quite a long time because it wasn't that fast. Uh, all of this time, of course, you could be taken out, <laughs> you know. Um, and they did develop hell swing. Uh, but that wasn't wildly uh, because of that one problem. 
that uh, they put they mounted Swing Far on um, on a helicopter, but then in order to it had to remain relatively stationary while it was firing, and of course it was then a target. Yeah. Um, no, it. it I, I think. This, this is one of those those sort of lovely podcasts where I really would, you know, if if you've listened to this, I really would enthuse the, the listener to go and do your own research into the, into the WRAC, um, because they they re, the, the ladies did a huge amount, um, and you know from from post integration, what what year did the WRAC? Um, formerly stunned its colours too. Was it 96? No, 92. It was no, 92. The thing was, you see, I, I could talk any, uh, call any talk I do from khaki to khaki in 30 years because I started off in the OTC in khaki and my last six months serving, I actually left late Adjutant General's Corps. I did not late WRAC. So you, that, that's, that's, that's some period, time period. Because um, I, I remember when the the Adjutant the General's Corps were formed. Um, and I, I recall seeing some of the literature. Um, and, and I think it was probably at college. Because I know that, that, that with, with all the, with, the, with a lot of the, the integrations of, of regiments, there was this big recruitment drive. Um seem to run simultaneously um and, and i can always rec- sort of remember i i think they used uh, a lady for the the rm for the provost branch um as, as part of the uh, of portraying the trade um I, I could be wrong it was a very long time ago even for me so well, um, we, we had senior people with the provost very early on in fact yeah. um and of course, she might just have finished, but the last promo marshal was a woman. I have to find out her name, and that's good to see because it, you know, within the RAF, we we seem to we you know the the RAF recently have um, last year before last uh, promoted um, a lady to be the commandant to RAFC Cranwell. Um, I'm just going to find her name, actually. I, I, actually, I can't remember it. I've, I've got all the details about her. I can send it to you. Yeah, I, I just... I, I, I've, I've met her, <laughs> which is even worse. I think you see, sort of see that many people. Um, here we go. Um, and, and you forget sort of key names, which is appalling. Uh, let me have a look. Scrolling down, it's Saraya Marshall, isn't it? Yeah, Marshall. That's it. Uh, I hope I said her first name correctly. Um, and and it's interesting to see that you know that the all three services have have grasped the opportunities and given opportunities to to the to the ladies who who come and serve for them. Um, and it's certainly changed. And it, and it's interesting for you to to note that you know you weren't necessarily given firearms um or access to firearms as readily as male counterparts um given that a lot of the a lot of the, the girls were sort of would have worked supporting the teeth line you know the, the teeth arms um 
Was that always the case, or, or was that, have I misinterpreted that? No, no. The WREC, uh, when it started, it stated that they would not carry arms, right, when it was formed. Uh, uh, but during the time of the formation of the WREC, uh, during the time of the WREC, uh, they said they could carry arms. And then all the people that joined before then had to sign a piece of paper if they were not prepared to carry arms. And in fact, only one of my officer colleagues actually did that. And she more or less said they're nasty, smelly things that go bang, you know. And I <laughs> 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 and and now if you look at it now we, we have we have we have sort of you know um young men sorry young young women fighting in the teeth aisles we've got you know uh, tank crews we've there's recently been um a young lady joined her basic training with the grenadier guards um and so it shows you how how, how far things have progressed and, and i must admit I, I i certainly remember these the ladies that i served with always a better shot uh, and then the, the men, I think, I think there's something you have patience that we don't have. Well, these sort of things. The thing is, that, uh, with shooting, um, as I say, I'd always learned to shoot uh, from a very young age. And of course, I fired in the OTC, and then eventually uh, I uh, fired in the inter service rifle shooting team as well, right. the WAC inter service rifle shooting team. But uh, while I was in the OTC, I was firing in, uh, uh, you know, mixed teams, uh, you know, because if you're, if you're not, um, the only weapon that it's quite difficult to cope with is I did actually compete in um, what was then called the light machine gun, the LMG, yeah, yeah. pairs, and as you know, that one, you had to change the barrel in the middle of it all and, and etc and it was also quite heavy to carry and run because you have to run um and i was quite lucky because i was um uh paired with a very big uh um you know she was tall and she was quite broad uh a, a, a female officer cadet and so we were able to um you know make a fair go at it but uh, uh, i mean if if you're firing i mean i could take on any of the men uh, uh you know sort of uh firing a 303 uh or um uh you know any other weapon where you're you're not running with the weapon you know uh, but that was the disadvantage uh, we had um but um no, it's um, it, it was funny really because you know we were not supposed to carry arms and and yet um, uh, you know I'd always carried weapons about uh, you know because when uh, when we were um, when I was in Scotland by then I was secretary of the uh, Army Women's uh, Rifle Association and uh, I was taking some weapons down to um, fire uh, 
we used to have a week's training before we, we went to fire. And uh, I was coming down with a, a, another officer who was a, a shot who was in Scotland. And we had something like six rifles on the back seat covered in a blanket and enough ammunition to kill half of, <laughs> half of Surrey. I mean, you can't imagine it now. Um, and, um, <laughs> it was even funnier because when we were coming down, we were about an hour out of London. And Heather said to me, you know, I'm feeling a bit tired. Uh, and she said, uh, I think we ought to have a rest, you know, from driving. So I said, well, we'll pull into a, a lay-by, you see, and um, um, have a little sleep. So we did this, you see. And the next thing that happened was there was banging on the window of the, um, of the car, you see. And uh, I sort of opened the door and looked up into the eyes of a policeman. And he said, uh, are you all right? And I said, yes, sir. fine. I said, we're, we're, we're driving and we've come down from Scotland and we thought we ought to have a little sleep. And he never looked into the car. You were lucky. Exactly. <laughs> um, Audrey, <laughs> thank you so much for, for, for talking with me today. Um, We'd love to have you back um, to talk about what happened next, if if you'd be agreeable to that. Yes, I'd be delighted to. Yes, because in fact, um, I've now been out of the army for nearly thirty years. Crikey! Yes, it, it's yes, and 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 we're sort of with you leaving. I. I I joined not long after, so you know it's crikey. I'm starting to feel, yeah. So much has changed, hasn't it? Really. Well, it's interesting because um, you know I'm because you were um, going to chat. Um, I uh, was sort of thinking about you know the, the development of, of, of women in the army, and fascinating. There was three graduates. Uh, because I was the first graduate from Nottingham OTC to do a full career. Uh, and the other two were Helen Meakey, who I've mentioned, the director, and um, Francis Hutley, who uh, was in an OTC in Northern Ireland. And we were, we were all in OTCs. Uh, I was the only one that was commissioned. Um, and we were all within literally two or three years of age and yet we moved up uh, all the way through it was fascinating um and now the the last vice president of the association uh and one of our life vice presidents and the new uh uh life uh, the new vice president were all uh came in within two or three years of each other all from a university and uh of course they all went to sandhurst and it's fascinating actually because uh, that almost those you know um those three went through their career 
uh, and uh, two of them made brigadier and uh, one made colonel. Uh, uh, and of course, of us, one made brigadier and two made colonel. So it's very interesting uh, all those years on. Yeah. Unbelievable. Right. Well, um, I'm going I'm to stop recording now. Um, oh, sorry, we were still recording, were you? Yeah, we're still recording, which is lovely. Yeah, we, I'm going to stop recording now. Um, and then once I've given, once I've sort of stopped recording, I'll give you a, and then we can just plan our, our next chat. Right. Um, and, and, and ironically, the, the connection started to become rather poor. I think it's our atmospheric drop at my end. Once again, Colonel Audrey Smith, thank you so much for your time today. And um, we look forward to carrying on the conversation with what Colonel Audrey Smith did next. And I can assure you it is exceptionally interesting. All right. Many thanks. 